is no God, then why are we whispering? Stand by to receive our transmission. Logic clearly dictates. If you're an atheist, scream atheist! From beautiful downtown in Philadelphia, in the state of apostasy, it's the Atheist Underground. I'm in the dark here. Welcome to the Underground. Next stop. Explore the misty meadows of Mythosystopia, a shadowy land of moot points, endless arguments, and rumpled professors, where we hope to sort out what's fact and what's fiction in a stop where the line might be still blurred for some. We'll take a look at circumcision in America and the myths surrounding its persistence as a mainstream medical practice. We'll talk Norse mythology with an actual Giyoya, a pagan priestess. Way cooler than Jesus' sad story, I can tell you. Elmo has a brand new crap to punish for promoting the big myth of creationism. Sir Hugo has a new profile in pedophilia, sadly not a myth, that part. As I'm joined today by Team Jason. A trio, a triad, a triumvirate, a trinity of sardonic Jasons. So let's meet the panel first. He's an unemployed cable guy who loves to dish. His hobbies include home brewing, drinking homemade beer alone, and looking down on people. Please welcome Jason. Good to be here, Rob. How was the weather down there? Next, he's a stay-home dad and part-time civilian hacker for the NSA. In his spare time, he enjoys scaring children with a creepy clown suit and a magic balloon-twisting act down at the park. Say hi to Jason. Would you like a balloon animal? <laughs> no, thanks, man. <laughs> I'm good there. Uh, finally, born a biological lesbian girl with the psyche of a gay female-identifying man who yearned to be a real cross-dressing bisexual woman and currently awaiting a second gender reassignment surgery. Say what? Please welcome Transgender Jason. Actually, it's pangender, so... Whatever, motherfucker! Thanks. All right, uh, what do you guys think about penises? I'm a collector. You cut? Are you I, yeah, I have been is, modified. Is there a foreskin lurking among us? Kind of yeah. thinking about what I'm going to do with that yet. I haven't decided. <laughs> Is there a foreskin among the four of us? Lurking here? That, no. Uh, no, no, sadly. Um, any thoughts on that? Do you, do you wish you had that extra quarter inch? Do you, wish you had a, <laughs> do you wish your sex was better because you're the foreskin? I'd like to try it for like a week and see. Rent, <laughs> rent one. Yeah. Could you rent one? Hey, yeah. foreskin <laughs> rental. Now, there's a, there's, a, <laughs> there's a business with a future. I can tell you what. Different sizes, colors, <laughs> all right. little uh, little add-ons, little additions, little, little uh, what do you call them? Attachments. Accessories. Attachments. Yeah, accessories, <laughs> thank you. I'm an idiot. 
All right. Uh, well, you're going to find out, so stay tuned. Uh, it's the world premiere of the original story, Missing Pieces, Circumcision in America. did it come to be that we have convinced millions of people that they need to cut part of their baby's genitals off at birth? Why are we taking knives to genitals? Jen Williams is the founder of Your Whole Baby, and she's talking about circumcision, the fourth most common surgical procedure in America. They don't really do that in other countries. Sonny Bagoyo is right. They don't do that in other industrialized nations. She and Jen are not alone, but part of a larger chorus in a new anti-circumcision movement. And I wouldn't call it anti-circumcision. I would just call it bodily autonomy for everyone. And this bodily autonomy presumably leads to more, shall we say, uncircumcised penises? There's no such thing, and I think that that's a horrible term that was subconsciously created to show bias towards circumcised penises. The word is intact. Jordan is an intactivist, and he and the others raise their voices of objection in a harmony of outrage. It's absolutely devastating to even have to explain this, that American women and American men don't know that American boys don't know that part of their body has been removed. We are essentially amputating an erogenous zone from men's bodies uh, before they ever have an opportunity to use them. I began to realize that I had been sexually assaulted as an infant, and that's exactly what it was. It's a sexual assault on a child. It's unethical to cut perfectly healthy parts off a healthy child. Leave it alone. It's not the, it's not yours. You just type in botched circumcision and you just just make sure you, you're not on image search when you do that because that's pretty traumatic. I was diagnosed with PTSD. I, I'm estranged from my family, from one side of my family because of this. I remember feeling growing up very violated, feeling like I was missing something that I should have. You know, you alter form, you alter function. It changes it. It changes it. I mean, there's a pain between my husband and I that, that won't go away because I feel like this is something that... It's a silent epidemic of hurt and pain that we refuse to talk about in this country. We're going to talk about it. On Atheist Underground's Third Rail, a high-voltage look at current events and today's most electrifying subjects. Oppression. Oppression. Abuse. Injustice. Pedophilia. Incest. Hate. Rape. Intolerance. 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 
Taboo Topics. Taboo Topics. Timely Talk on Taboo Taboo Topics. On this episode, Third Rail presents Missing Pieces Circumcision in America. Part 1 The Tip. Circumcision, of course, the surgical removal of the foreskin, is nothing new. And while it likely developed multilaterally across a variety of cultures, like many other ancient rituals, it comes to us from the Middle East. While there is no way to know for certain where the practice began, the earliest documentary evidence comes to us from Egypt in the 6th dynasty, around 2200 to 2300 BCE, in the form of hieroglyphs, artwork, and mummies. Circumcision for Americans, however, brings to mind a different culture. John Geisiger explains. When most people think of circumcision, they immediately think of the Britain Milla, as it's called. The ceremony that Jews use for a child on, on his eighth day of life. The act is prescribed in Genesis, chapter 17. The reading begins at verse 11. And ye shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of a covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every male throughout your generations, he that is born in the house, or bought with money of any foreigner, that is not of thy seed. And the uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that soul shall be cut off from his people he hath broken my covenant. This commandment is repeated more succinctly in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, And in the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. It follows then that most Jews would be circumcised. Could the Jewish influence account for the mainstream popularity? Jews are heavily circumcised, very rates are pushing 95%. But Jews make up only 2% of the U.S. population. 1.9% in fact. Muslims too ritually circumcise penises. But they make up less than 1% of the U.S. population, so what's the missing piece? Is there a hidden Christian requirement somewhere? Intactivist Ryan Lewis. Here's what's ironic about it. The Bible tells Christians not to circumcise. The Bible's actually pretty clear about it, that there's no need for it. If you are not circumcised, do not get circumcised. Um, that's all in the New Testament. Amen. The fact remains that for a hundred years, circumcision dominated the American phallus. So much so, that if you grew up any time before the 80s or 90s in this country, you just didn't see any foreskins. At some point in the middle 19th century, circumcision had become ubiquitous in the U.S. 
The theories on how this happened are as numerous as, well, penises themselves. The most popular theory behind that is that it was started by uh, Kellogg, uh, the creator of Kellogg's Corn Flakes, um, was himself a bit of a cornflake. It's the doctor's fault. It's the medical community's fault. Cultural conditioning is a very powerful thing. Don't nobody want no turtleneck. People just think that it is what you do. Doctors that are just coming from this culture that think that it's normal, that it was done to them. I do think that money definitely plays a role. There are a whole bunch of industries that also benefit. I think everybody thought of circumcision as a uh, way to improve hygiene. John Geisiger is an attorney and spokesman for doctors opposing circumcision. As John explains, the modern origins are a bit more complicated. It started as an idea, actually, in France in the late 18th century and somehow made its way into a strain of medicine that was very puritanical. It's useful to remember during any kind of chat about circumcision that medicine and religion were once deeply entwined. When people got sick, they were thought to have done something immoral that caused their disease, and doctors couldn't explain disease, so morality and, and medicine have been mixed up for a very long time. So in the late 19th century, the idea of reflex neurosis came to be. And reflex neurosis was a disease explanation that suggested that if you touched a sensitive part of your body, that you would cause disease to spring up spontaneously somewhere else. So for instance, if a boy touched his penis and then later started coughing of blood, it was thought that his touching himself was what caused his disease. So that, that theory helped start up the notion that if you cut the most sensitive part of boy's penis off, you would prevent him from masturbating and you would also discourage the overuse of sexuality. So it was very much a, originally a combination medicine, religion, and a sort of Puritan notion about sexual pleasure. Okay, but babies don't touch themselves. Originally, it was sort of a punishment for teenagers who were thought to be pleasuring themselves. And it was done without anesthesia. And so you can imagine there, there wasn't a huge lineup at the doctor's office uh, of teenagers willing to do this. Doctors soon discovered that the best way to do it, and of course they would argue that since it was a disease prevention, you should start early, but then it became a sort of an infant practice where you could tie an infant down. In fact, the, the papoose was often used um, in order to do the procedure so you could immobilize the child. And that same device called a circumstraint is actually still around today. Even in Puritan America, none of this explains how the practice became so widespread among the public in general. So what's the missing piece? The medical community has done such a marvelous job historically of putting fear into young parents. However, when put in the perspective of time and life on the frontier, some of this fear becomes more understandable. The odds of living to age five in Chicago in the 1870s was under 50%. So an awful lot of children died young. 
So it was very easy to make parents fearful about disease. We still didn't have penicillin or sulfonilamide or any of the new miracle antibiotics until the about the beginning of World War II. So there's an entire era from the 1870s to the 1940s where if you got sick, there wasn't much the doctor could do for you. It's easy to see why young parents would be frightened and could easily be convinced by a, a doctor that the best thing they could do to protect their boy would be to circumcise him. Another phenomenon, says Geisiger, contributed to a snowball effect. Most babies were born at home. And if you were born in a hospital, you were more likely to be circumcised because, of course, there you are and there's the hospital. And so circumcision in the late 19th century became a kind of a mark of status because if you could get circumcised, that meant that you had been born in a hospital instead of being born, you know, on your family farm or in your tenement building or, um, somewhere in the city. So, you know, it happens that an awful lot of doctors are themselves circumcised. From a medical standpoint, it's a lucrative business. And they, of course, pushed it. By the end of the Cold War, the USA was a foreskin-free zone. The peak of circumcision in the United States is about 1979, 1980, and it peaked in the high 80 percentile. And the foreskin itself reduced to an urban legend. For generations now, people consider penises hard to care for, that uh, boys who are not circumcised will get infections, and that they need constant cleaning, and you have to retract them for bathing, and you, all these worries. Jen Williams agrees. There are a lot of myths about if a newborn is not circumcised, that the foreskin is dirty and gross and will become infected. And all of these are just myths that have been perpetuated for so long that people believe them as fact. With the erection of this mythology surrounding its care, the intactivists point out that actual knowledge of its form and function has gone flaccid. People are entirely ignorant to what the anatomy of the intact penis is. Far from being the extra bit of unnecessary skin portrayed to us by mom, the foreskin, it turns out, has a variety of purposes. Quite frankly, the foreskin has some benefits for everyone involved in its use. About a quarter of the nerve endings in the penis in of itself are in the foreskin. And that's 25% of your feeling that's immediately gone just from that. It's there for a reason. It, it has uh, biological purposes. It protects the glands. The sliding motion of the foreskin makes sexual intercourse more pleasurable. I could say as a bottom, um, it's, <laughs> there's a lot less friction. It definitely does affect female satisfaction. Oh, yeah. 
Um, the man having full sensation on the head of his penis makes it more pleasurable for him. So there are a lot of perks to foreskin. Next time on part two, we'll look at the procedure itself. So if you would look at the Canadian uh, Pediatrics uh, Society, uh, the European uh, societies, Australian societies, they have all moved away from circumcision as a routine procedure. And hear the particular stories of the regret parents. And as the appointment came time, it was close to a month old, I just started getting a really, really bad, sick feeling in my stomach and... Um, Scared moms. I just get angry when people say this is the way it's been done so you have to do it and personal victims um i was pretty upset and i have to say i still am <laughs> as we continue the third rail original story missing pieces circumcision in america Jason, we thought about a mythicist guest, right, when we wanted to put this show together, but you and I have been so steeped in mythicism for a couple of years, I feel like we've kind of talked to, to everybody there is to talk to uh, about it. And anyway, uh, now who's better qualified to synopsize the whole thing than you and me? So uh, you've actually been a mythicist longer than me, so tell me what's up. Yeah, well, not much, you know. It started uh, as a listener to uh, Robert Price with the Bible Geek Show, and now I help produce the show. So uh, doing pretty well, you know. I, I will say... I am missing the one big qualification to be a mythicist. I've not yet slept with Richard Carrier, but uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> so you're maybe a mythicist with a small M. You, yeah. you don't get your big yeah. M. I'll, I'll you, get there. I'll when, get there. When you oh, it, you uh, get the Richard letter. Yeah. Oh, it's like the scarlet letter. So you're a mythicist, <laughs> pan-gender Jason? That's a yeah, I consider myself a big M. <laughs> I would probably not consider myself necessarily a mythicist, in that I subscribe to any specific school of thought. But generally speaking, I, I don't believe Jesus was an actual human being. So I guess so, in a way, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Jason? Uh, you, uh... I'm not really sure what even the term mythicism means. Uh, did Jesus exist? Do you care? What does it matter to anybody? Oh, did Jesus exist? Um, he probably existed. He probably convinced a lot of people that he was uh, something he wasn't. When it comes to, you know, early Christianity, for instance, it makes perfect sense to me that they would um, essentially pick an archetype human being, some random Joe maybe existed that Joe. was that the Joe. model, the, the form, you know, that they picked to kind of model uh, Jesus after. Absolutely nothing in reality can be attributed to him, I don't think. Nothing. Everything else was made up and the, pieced together. Yeah, the, the only, the first real allusions to Jesus, they all just talk about 
what Christians say about him. There's nothing that really puts him historically in any period, and uh, that's that's kind of the problem. I know, you know, the the big kickback to that is well, there's not writings about lots of other people, but uh, that's not really true. I mean, when you look through history, everyone says Julius Caesar. Uh, obviously, there's a ton written about Julius Caesar. We have his writings. We have the writings of people that directly, you know, were under his command. And you have, you know, people that were his enemies that were talking about it. But with Jesus, you have nothing. And he was supposed to be this big, important figure that led this big uprising and started a religion. But yet, no one around him, apparently, everyone was uh, illiterate. Nobody could read or write anywhere around there. That's that's the big... Uh, the big comeback and uh, I just don't buy it. Sure. And I, I think part of that is uh, I accept the idea that historical Jesus could exist just because it gets us past that point and just says, could he be a son of God? Could he be born from a virgin? Things like that. But yeah, I don't know a lot of the actual historical data or uh, I know that's lack thereof. Yeah. And lack thereof <laughs> as well. Where does it fit in in terms of the secular movement? I, you know, I sort of used to think of it as another faction, but in reality, it's the one faction that you could be a theist and still be a mythicist. So, what is it? You don't see mythicist groups popping up, but you see like atheist and humanist groups popping up like mushrooms everywhere. What's it? What does it matter to to anybody? Uh, I think it's a historical issue. Um, I think it's not really a religious question because, as you said. The religious question is, is he God? Um, and I think for most people uh, that are atheists would say no, or I would assume so. But the question of whether he was a historical figure is a historical question. It's a, it's a secular question. I don't think we can leave it to Christians to answer that question. They have to say, at least, you know, most of them. You say, you think that you could be a mythicist and still be a Christian, I, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, you would have to obviously disagree with the the church, um, or at least established Christianity, and say he wasn't brought down to earth to be, you know, the human sacrifice that that saves our sins. You'd have to give that up. And then I'm not sure that gets closer to Mormonism, uh, and I, a lot of Christians wouldn't consider Mormons. To be Christian, and I, I think you would basically be creating a new sect, at least of Christianity, if you were going to say Jesus never came to Earth. Well, I think it would. I think you're right about that. But what I actually said was theist. You could be a mythicist, but not, but and still a theist. So, like sure. a Unitarian or one of these, you know, people who just won't give it up. And my, I guess my problem is, isn't that? I mean, we know people who are just really heavy into mythicism, who will swear they know that Jesus didn't exist yet they leave wiggle room when it comes to the existence of God. It's like, how can you call yourself an agnostic because there might be a God when you don't, <laughs> you know, this one's an obvious myth, which it's not. It's never going to be answered. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. but there might be a God. I, it just rings hollow to me. Well, then you have the other issue of, I don't know what you'd call them, sort of the atheist Christians, maybe agnostic, where they say it's all a metaphor or like God is energy, and they for some reason won't let go of that that mythology and, it's, and, and they just sort of say, okay, well, you know, God is energy, so he's part of everything. And then they're like, then the Jesus stories are just, you know, stories that are supposed to teach us lessons. And they, it gets really, really clouded really quick, I think, in, uh, especially as people refuse to let go of that Christian label. Um, 
or you know the thing that they grew up with woo manga calls it woo woo yeah you guys listened to manga for like what was 15 minutes i think i i, I got it down to uh and i want to ask over the course of an hour how many times did she say the phrase naturalistic worldview <laughs> go ahead and take a guess how many let's, let's go 20 20 i would say maybe 35 times 30 times 35 times would be my guess I, i'm gonna take the under i'll go like 15 was it 15 <laughs> well, let, let's find out take it away Minga. <laughs> Have a naturalistic view of the world, a naturalistic worldview who has a naturalistic perspective that is really looking at the world uh, in a naturalistic way to people who have a naturalistic outlook, whoever had a naturalistic worldview, be able to function as people who had a naturalistic worldview. I'm a person who has a naturalistic worldview, and so the naturalistic worldview needs to be uh, elevated. Come out as a person who has a naturalistic worldview, but if we uh, have a naturalistic worldview, as people who have a naturalistic worldview, and I say, when I have a naturalistic worldview, when I look at the world, it's all natural. They'd say, well, yeah, you know, my worldview is is naturalistic, naturalistic worldview. And because you have a naturalistic worldview, a person who has a natural worldview, there are gobs of people who have a naturalistic worldview, but we all have a naturalistic way of looking at what it is. For the people who do not have a naturalistic perspective, see that the world uh, can be explained in natural terms and have a naturalistic worldview. If you keep a naturalistic worldview, my perspective is naturalistic, a naturalistic worldview. Although I have a feeling many with religious labels also have a naturalistic perspective. Twenty-seven. Yes, it was twenty-seven. If you guessed twenty-seven, congrats. You can count. Hello, I'm Sir Hugo Bottomsley Upton, and this is Profiles in Pedophilia. Today's profile comes to us from Altoona, Pennsylvania, and one Francis Ackerson. The name's Francis. Francis was a diocesan monsignor, ordained in 1946. Everybody calls me Psycho. Monsignor Francis was named in the March 2016 Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report on the Diocese of Altoona, Johnstown, among priests alleged to have engaged in sexually abusive acts with children. That's fucked up. The alleged abuse took place in 1955 and 56. Involved a 15-year-old boy at St. Mary's Orphanage in Crescent, Pennsylvania, and included oral and attempted anal rape. Lighten up, Francis. Francis Ackerson died August 11, 2002. This has been Profiles in Pedophilia. Until next time, I'm Sir Hugo Bottomsley Upton.
We are joined today by Don Thomas. How are you doing today, Don? Great. Thanks for having me. You are, in fact, a pagan priestess. Is that fair to say? Yes. A Gaia. Gaia. A lot of people think I'm talking about Gaia, like Mother Earth, but it's a Norse term for priestess, just like a Gothi would be the male term. Has there been a resurgence in, in interest in North, Norse religion lately? Yes. In fact, this year is kind of huge for us because a lot of heathens have struggled a long time for their military identity as heathens. And this year, um, the Department of Defense allowed Asatru and heathen in the religious terms. The United States military has been forced to recognize this as a legitimate religion. Yes, which isn't easy to do. So a lot of people like the Open Halls Project worked on this for a long time. When you have a warrior culture like heathenry, we kind of put our military on a pedestal. It's a culture that kind of coincides with training and self-defense and situation awareness. So you can find a lot of that in the Havamal. It just makes sense to a lot of warrior-type people. Now, when you say heathen, to me, heathen just is a term, a general term for non-Christians that Christians use, but you, you seem to have used it already as a synonym for followers of the Norse traditional religions. How, what is the actual definition of heathenism? How do those two relate? I actually purchased Noah Webster's first American dictionary of the English language. He wrote the word ethnic as heathen or pagan. Heathen is synonymous with pagan. It is a Germanic term, though, so that's our identifier that we would like to use. There's different heathen religions that are Nordic, but it's a general term for all of us combined. So there's different versions of heathen religions, but they're all... They're all Noah Webster's definition is what I found really intriguing because no one talks as if ethnic has anything to do with religion. You know, you hear of an ethnic minority and people think it just means black people, but it's not really what it means. It would mean it would have to be the minority within that community that are practicing voodoo or some other lost art, you know? So it's an even smaller percent of that minority, if you go with that definition, which I do, because when you talk about ethnic religions, you're talking about pre-Christian ancestral ways of life. So every dictionary will tell you heathen and ethnic is not a Christian, not a Muslim, and not a Jew. The mythicism that brought us together at the groups up north is mostly about Christ myth theory, were you drawn to that because of the similarities or and the possible crossover in terms of a larger secular community or free thinker community that might be inclusive of fringe religions? Or did you were you kind of mistaken about the nature of mythicism when you first found that group? I think I was mistaken because of just the slogan today's religions are tomorrow's myths or something like that. Yeah, and I guess I have a problem with that because when you're talking about the ethnic minority that's less than 1% of America, and it's hard enough when you're told you don't exist or you have no identity, and everyone's celebrating your holidays with a different name for them. You know, your oppressive God is right in the holiday Yule. They add Christmas. It's really not fun as it is, so if they want to attack nonsense cultural beliefs, I understand that, but saying that there's no value to any and that they should all just be... Um, put to the level of myth 
doesn't do us a service because myth is only part of a culture. There's so much more to your moral code and your ethnic way and your traditions than just some myth. So your own ancestry is Danish in part? I, I never really knew my cultural identity, but I felt a strong connection to the heathen way. And I took a class about it at UWM uh, by Veronica Lundbuck from Sweden, and she's a great teacher there for Scandinavian studies. So that's how I kind of got into it when I turned 18. And how does one go about becoming a Gaia? A lot of study. I still, I don't know, feel I'm on the path of learning. There's, It's not like you're just ever an expert. Can you get ordained down at Leif Erikson Academy, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, there are programs where you can get certified as a Gothier Gia, depending on what nonprofit or whoever group you're in. But I don't really agree with that, that this is just something you can get uh, certified in when you're 18, because you see a lot of Gothar running around with, they can't even grow a beard yet, and they're claiming they're experts, and I'm a Gothi, I'm a priest, and I just think it takes a few years of really serious consideration. Talk a little bit more about how uh, Christianity has, in fact, hijacked the, uh, the, the beautiful traditions of, of our people. I guess every time I open the dictionary and it says Yule and you see Christmas, that's a big one. That We're at the point where everything pagan is offensive, you know? Heathen means godless. Yule means Christmas. Lent doesn't mean spring anymore. Easter doesn't mean dawn goddess. It's completely backwards to what our uh, language means. Because old English, where English comes from, came from the runes. So if it's a language that's sacred to any god, it would be Odin. I know a lot of people don't like that fact. But. Tell us about the actual etymology of the word Yule. Well, it's Norse, J-O-L, also where you get the word jolly from the French Jolie. You know, I could trace it different languages, but there's nothing about it that's a Middle Eastern religion. It's a Germanic term that they still say in Scandinavia, glad Yule, uh, but for some reason here we act like it has nothing to do with that and it's just Christian. Is there a movement afoot in America to reestablish a little bit of, because uh, I mean, we're in a part of the country that has a huge Scandinavian descendant population. Uh, it's not going the direction we would hope. <laughs> when you're told that, oh, heathenry died out a thousand years ago, conveniently for them, we just peacefully converted, you know. It's a joke to me. It's, it's a lie and... Every history class will pretty much tell you the Viking Age is, you know, 793 CE to the year 1000, when Iceland officially converted. But that's just the official. My great-grandmother wrote about the heathens hiding in secret in Denmark, and that's was just 200 years ago that she wrote, They didn't belong to any church, as there was no religious institution for miles around. If anything, the father cherished a secret love for the old gods of his ancestors. Christianity had not yet been adopted by very many of the old Dane families living in the remote parts of the country. Many have never adopted it but clung to their own belief and was loath to change to any other. So to me, there's a certain loathing even of changing your belief. That was just 200 years ago. No one wants to admit that. They want to say, you're extinct. You're a, what was the last one I heard? Anachronistic society. That was just weird. I, I never thought it would be called that. But 
I did not even know that my great-grandmother, uh, Tilly Rasmussen, wrote that down. And that's the only little clip of evidence I have, but I know other families have these tidbits that we need to keep track of for our cultural legacy. And when I found this essay, it was really amazing for me that I've been heathen for 11 years and I had no idea that they had a secret love for the old gods 200 years ago. So I just found this out. Um, now, are you a theist or do you see these gods as metaphors for nature? I think it's beautiful metaphors, but I do believe in something more. And I think heathens need to stop being afraid to use the religion word because it's really not getting us anywhere in the public sphere. You have to, if you want a religious equality, that's the word everyone uses. So saying, I'm more spiritual, I don't want to get involved, I know the truth. A lot of dime a dozen heathens say that. They just need their hammers ripped off because they don't represent the majority of people that do care about their legacy as a culture. How is the new temple in, oh, in Iceland, the people got together and built a temple? I'd love to go there. Um, I But that's, you know, a little victory, but we really, we have a long way to go, even when it comes to defining ourselves, so... Like I said, until we have Yule or Heathen or anything making sense, even a de uh, defin definition, then I can't really say we've had that much progress because of one temple. If you look all over Scandinavia, all the beautiful churches there have crosses, but those are designed off of our temple designs. A lot of the holy sites had temples underneath them. So, right, so they basically converted the old holy sites into new holy sites yeah. and, and stuck a cross on it. And then they get burnt down and everyone gets upset because it was so beautiful. And I agree, it's beautiful, but it, the meaning's different. So I'm not going to support one way or the other. I'm not like, yay, let's go burn churches. But Let them all burn. Uh, I do realize that that's what they did to all of us. So. You know, everybody loves a hot Viking maiden, shield maiden. That's just an awesome archetype. Um, talk to us about the differences in female empowerment. Yeah, the equality there is much different. Mark Podick, who is one of the leading experts on extremism, decided to come out with this statement about my religion that is just totally false. He, he works for the Southern Poverty Law Center and writes for the Intelligence Report. What he actually said, I'm just going to quote quick, Two followers, the Norse gods are the big tough white guys who, when they see a woman they want, they grab her hair and pull her in the cave. It's seen as this ultra-male, super-muscular religion, which is antithetical to Christianity and Judaism. Completely offensive and false. When you make a statement, we're just cavemen, you know, this is an expert, I find it very strange. <laughs> they traveled, they founded countries, so... into the recent biopics on Thor. Do you like those movies? No. Uh, Marvel, no. Because you have a patent on someone's god that's an ethnic minority that's less than 1% of America, and you're internationally talking about this to more people than are even heathens. So we don't even have a chance for our opinion to reach as many. Is there a place where, where y'all can worship? Is there a gathering place? Heathen means people of the heath. We go to the heath. We go straight to the flowers and nature and the groves. Heathenism very much tied to, 
to nature. Yes, we gather in the forest and just hang out and talk. And so you have a little congregation, though. You have some. With some... my religion, you want to be really close because a tribe is like a family. You don't just hold hands with strangers in church and have this fake gathering of you know. It's more of something you build for years. You build kinship. I find it so much more interesting and empowering in a way than the sad, guilt-ridden, oppressive Judeo-Christian myth arc that's all about uh, you know fear and guilt. I'm just into spreading knowledge and preserving our cultural identity and holidays. Where can all the heathens out there find you? Yeah, people could find me at the Heathen Coalition on Facebook. Gaya Don Thomas, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Karamaga, thank you, as the Irish say, and Slongafol, goodbye. Batman and Jesus, the movie coming out, and you guys are allowed to still be involved. Uh, <laughs> tell us what's going on there. They were just out passing out uh, at the at the New Walkie. We're just out there with uh, Jake dressed as the Bat Priest, trying to get people to join the Church of Batman. That was his pitch. Uh, he was in character. He was not conceding that it was a movie. Nice. He was definitely trying, despite director Joseph Richards' attempts. He was, he was not giving in that it was going to be a movie. He was trying to tell people that there's a church of Batman. See, he's got a plot to actually <laughs> seed, he, to actually seed mm-hmm. the religion that will end up 2,000 years from now not being able to be. What was the response? A lot of people were interested. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of flyers that went out. Uh, when, you, when you're dressed as a bat priest and you're yelling, join the church of Batman, people are going to wonder what the hell is going on with you. <laughs> Uh, the possibility that Jesus arose as a myth from whole cloth and was not a historical figure who became mythicized, but a mythical figure who became historicized. Uh, that's what Batman and Jesus, the movie's all about. You can find it at what, at Batman and Jesus film, I think, is the Twitter. <laughs> so go see that. This podcast is brought to you by the Smartest Atheist Guild. Look for us on Facebook at Smartest Atheist Guild. E buongiorno, motherfuckers. Wake up. It's a time to fry. In the Helmos Underworld. episode she's a bringing to you by the diabetes. Manja manja America, it's a matter Anyway, it's a time for creationist asshole of the podcast. This week we have a, a 
Eh, eh, bambini, come si dice geologisti? Geologisti! Ah, sì, 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 e geologiste. You're never gonna believe this ciuccio. And here, as always, to help me take the crap is a young Bobby Science. You suck, Science! Thanks, Homo. I mean, Helmo. Today's crap goes out to Andrew Snelling. Not smelling. Snelling. Dude's name should be smelling because he stinks like a ripe turd. And this turd is actually suing the Grand Canyon Say what? for not letting him take rocks out because he wants to use them to prove the Earth is only 6,000 years old. This could very well be the stupidest person on the face of the Earth. That's right, folks. Andrew Smelling. I mean, Snelling is a creationist geologist. Perhaps we should shoot him. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Bobby, that's an oxymoron, like Christian education or military intelligence. And speaking of morons, Smelling is one of Ken Ham's idiot buddies from Answers in Genesis. Damn fuckers. Thanks a lot, Australia. You drunks should really try to keep your assholes down under more often. <laughs> Smelling claims discrimination by the National Park Service for not letting him vandalize the world-famous landmark in the name of bogus research. Yes, the panel of actual scientists who look at these requests discriminated against you. They're scientists. They routinely discriminate against the stupid. Go get some gravel from the road outside the national park and use that to prove your lies. So, with a special mention to the University of Sydney, Australia, for giving this boob a geology degree, Andrew Smelling, I mean Snelling, you are today's creationist asshole of the podcast. Kick his ass, Helmo. Okay, okay, andiamo, stronzo, andiamo. It's time for Is It True or Is It Woo with Minga the Merciless. Our contestants guess, but only Minga knows for sure. Is it true or is it woo? Now let's meet the guests. Please welcome to the Judgment Chamber, Jason, Jason, and Pangender Jason. Round one category is Norse mythology. Norse mythology for 100 IQ points. Norse mythology. Uh, true or woo, Jason? True. <laughs> <laughs> there was a real historical Odin. Yeah, did someone named Thor exist? I Probably somewhere. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there's still people named Thor. So you say, like, for, for the record, you, Jason, say Norse mythology is true. You say? I, I'm going to say that's woo. I'm gonna go I have not seen any ice giants um, lately. That is uh, uh, super woo. I'm going to go with woo as well. 
Uh, let's hear what Menga has to say. Woo, I call it woo. After one round, Jason is down 100 IQ points. The round two category, pedophile priests. Pedophile priests for 100 Hail Marys. Next is uh, pedophile priests. True or woo? True. Uh, I've talked to Peter Isley, so true. It's true. I know this. Again, I got to go true. Go with the crowd on that one. Mingo, what do you say? Pedophile priests, true or woo? Correct information. Verifiable information. Of course, of course, we all sadly know that it's true. All right. After two rounds, Jason remains down 100 IQ points. The round three category is Young Earth Creationism. Young Earth Creationism for 100 evolutionary advances. Young Earth Creationism. Jason, is it true or is it woo? I'm going to go out on a limb and say true. <laughs> he likes playing the game, folks. Are we talking Young Earth Creationism? Young Earth Creationism, yes. Oh, that's true, 100%. Uh, despite the views of my former supervisor at the cable company there, I'm going to say woo. I'm going to have to go woo on Young Earth Creationism, as we all know. Minga, tell us, woo or true? Woo uh, to the third degree. Of course, true bullshit, as we all know. Going into the final round, Jason is down 100 IQ points and 100 evolutionary advances. The final category is mythicism. Christ myth theory for 200 moot points. Uh, okay, now we know how the game works. Let's try the big one. All right, mythicism. After we talked about it at length, Christ myth theory. Jason, is it true or is it woo? I'm going to go four in a row and say true. He's a believer. The Dick Carrier version of it, I would say maybe. I don't really know. I would, uh, I think I'm, I kind of branch off of my own with that. So my version is true and his is. Woo wee. Jason, Christ myth theory. Is it true or is it woo? Well, I will, uh, for all you Batman and Jesus fans out there, I will say, I don't know, and neither do you. All right, and drum roll, please. You didn't give your opinion there, Rob. Didn't I? No. I thought no. it was, oh, I think it was woo, to be honest with you. Mythicism. No, mythicism's true. Christ is woo. Minga, tell us, is it true or is it woo? Christ myth theory. <laughs> Jason wins. Join us next time for Is It True or Is It Woo with Minga the Merciless. And now, with secular news and events, here's Jojo Vandescoop. The town of Summersworth, New Hampshire will soon have an atheist flag sharing space with a monument of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments monument in the downtown area shares a traffic island with two flagpoles, one with the city's flag, the other to rotate flags of diversity. Resident Richard Gagnon requested the atheist flag, which is a scarlet letter A over a blue background. The atheist flag will fly over the Ten Commandments monument during the month of January 2018. 
A 10-year-old in Lexington, Kentucky, says he's being bullied at school because of his lack of religious belief. Devin Estes attends Stanton Elementary, which has a religious assembly featuring religious music called The Upper Room, which is held on school grounds after the doors open but before classes begin. Devin's mother has complained to the principal about the treatment her son is receiving from peers and teachers. The executive director of Kentucky's ACLU stated he believes the program violates the U.S. Constitution, but no lawsuit has been filed. In Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, the organization Itihad is urging the government to investigate activities they believe are trying to abolish Islam as the official religion of the state. Recently, the Federal Territories Islamic Religious Department was investigating the existence of a Kuala Lumpur Atheist Republic Club after a photo of a gathering went viral on social media. A government official recently declared they are committed to combating atheism. Itihad's Strategic Research Committee chief stated, quote, As atheism contradicts with religious values and the right of people with faith under the federal constitution, it can be deemed demoralizing. In conference news, American atheists will be holding their 2018 annual convention from March 29th through April 1st at the Sheraton in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Tickets may be purchased at www.atheists.org slash convention 2018. That is all for the dystopia of Mythosystopia. Thank you all for joining us and thanks for your patience. Now get your dirty asses back on the train. We will be arriving in Humanistopolis next with part two of the circumcision story, missing pieces, and much, much more. Welcome to the underground. Next stop, Humanistopolis. Humanistopolis is next.